I can, so I, I just got to, let me just say, I can neither agree nor condone the following statements. Ready? <laughs> ah, it is Advent season, but if you hadn't noticed, the store shelves in mid-October as they started to fill up with Christmas decorations, it is also Christmas. Uh, I admit that I am an adamant believer that Christmas decorations should only go up after Thanksgiving, said Pastor Brian. <laughs> I believe... That Thanksgiving needs its time. We need to take time to pause to be thankful. In the busiest time of the year, we need time in our busy schedules to be grateful for all that we have. We can agree with that, right? I am not a Grinch, said Pastor Brian. <laughs> On the contrary, I love Christmas and the Advent season. I just think that without a proper time to pause and reflect on all that we're thankful for, we miss out on what Christmas is all about. Without being appreciative first, without taking the time to ground ourselves in gratitude, do you hear that? To ground ourselves in gratitude, what an incredible statement. The commercialism of Christmas can easily steal our joy of the holidays. Taking time to be thankful also allows us to take time to reflect on our lives and this past year. So this is what we're going to do. Ready, Brian? We're going to flip over our sermon notes because on one side you have notes, on the other side it's blank. He knew that we needed to do this today, right? So on the other side, it's blank. So at the very top, I think you should write this statement. Ground ourselves in gratitude. I love that statement. And we're going to take one whole minute of this service to record everything we're thankful for. So if you're watching online for us today, write in the comments, wherever you're watching from, Facebook, if you're on our website, um, there's a chat area or a comment area, and you can list the things that you're thankful for together, all right? So we're gonna do this all together. So for one whole minute, we're gonna write all the things you can think that you're thankful for for this past year, okay? It's okay if you use the Bible in front of you to put underneath your notes, you won't, you'll be okay. Okay, ready, Mark, set, go. One minute. Let me are thinking of the things that they're thankful for. I can feel it. No game. 
Okay, everybody look at your list. Pretty good list, good. Yeah, can I see your list? Just flip them and let me see them. Good, 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 excellent. Okay, on the count of three, we're all gonna say, you can pick one, anyone you want, we're all gonna say it at the same time. What's something that you're thankful for this past year, ready? One, two, three. Very nice, excellent. See, we have lots and lots to be thankful for, don't we? I'm so grateful for that because once the end of the year draws very close, uh, we often start to reflect on the year gone by and we remember and recall all these wonderful things we're thankful for, but also some of the hardships that we've experienced, right? Uh, we're wishing maybe for something better, something new, and we hope things will be different. At the end of 2020, we sure all hoped things would be different, didn't we? Uh, remember how we longed for something better at the end of last year? How do you think that's working out for us so far? <laughs> um, we are near the start of another year, and if we're not careful, we could get overwhelmed by the broken world that seems beyond hope and repair to many of us. So this first week of Advent centers around the word hope. Hope in the middle of what seems like hopelessness in our world. And at first glance, the scripture that we're going to study together for this first week of Advent might seem maybe a little bit out of place, but once we uncover its meaning, I think we'll find out that this is the perfect passage to take us to the end of a challenging year and into the hope of something different for next year. So as we hear these words of the psalmist, he writes, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me because you are the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. Know that these are words of promise, words of trust, words of hope. A reminder of who God is. He is trustworthy and he is faithful. But also a reminder of who we are. We are a people of hope, even in moments of despair. So let's look at the scripture together. If you would like to look it up uh, in your Bible, um, I learned this when I was in children's church. I always thought it was kind of a magic trick, which my mother told me that they probably weren't teaching me magic tricks in children's church. But if you take your Bible and you open it almost perfectly halfway, you end up in Psalms. It's so amazing, isn't it? So in scripture, in the Bible, there's 66 books in here. The first half is called the Old Testament. Um, that is all kind of prophecies about the coming Messiah. It's very exciting how God shows his love to the Israelite people. And in the back half, it's called the New Testament, is when Jesus comes and is alive on earth and he ministers. And he also has all kinds of followers um, called disciples or apostles uh, that follow him. And so the book of Psalms is in the first half, the Old Testament, and that's where we're going to read from. It's a little bit confusing because Psalm starts with a P. So if you're looking for it, don't look for an S. It starts with a P. It's a little bit wonky, but... That's how it is, okay? So Psalms chapter 25, that's the big number, all right, chapter 25, and then we're going to start at verse 1, which is just within the sentences, the little number. Uh, if you're on your app, you should be able to find that. It's also in your notes for you today. Psalm chapter 25, starting at verse 1. I offer my life to you, Lord. My God, I trust you. Please don't let me be put to shame don't let my enemies rejoice over me. For that matter, don't let anyone who hopes in you be put to shame. Instead, let those who are treacherous without excuse be put to shame. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me because you are the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. Lord, remember your compassion and faithful love. They are forever forever. 
but don't remember the sins of my youth or my wrongdoing. Remember me only according to your faithful love for the sake of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and does the right thing. He teaches sinners which way they should go. God guides the weak to justice, teaching them his path. All the Lord's paths are loving and faithful for those who keep his covenant and laws. Hope's an interesting concept, isn't it? Oftentimes we define hope as merely looking to an outcome where life will be better. We hope our finances won't be such a struggle next year. We hope that our job situation might change or we hope that maybe we'll feel better physically or we hope maybe we could be happier. This version, this this Bible version that we're using today starts this chapter by saying, I offer my life to you, my God, I trust you. But the New International Version, which is just a different translation of scripture, says in this first verse, in you, Lord God, I put my trust in you. Either way, the language used is one of sacrifice. I put my trust in you. I offer my life to you. Both mean surrender or sacrifice, replacing all that we are into the hands of God. The New Testament uses the same kind of language. Remember the back half of the Bible where Jesus is? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. An interesting choice of words here in the Psalms about hope that we can connect hope with trust and sacrifice. I place my trust in you. I offer my body as a living sacrifice. This entire Psalm is one of trust that begins with this act of surrender. I offer my life to you in you I put my trust. So that's our first blank. If you're taking notes on the flip side of your thank you list, um, there is hope in surrender. There is hope in surrender. A sacrifice or a total surrender doesn't sound too hopeful to me when you really think about it. If you were to tell me that I was going to be sacrificed at the end of this service today, I doubt I would celebrate that. (laughs) Or I would tell you the thought of being sacrificed brings hope into my life. Because sacrifices don't usually get to live. Those who are sacrificed don't get much to say or do after they're sacrificed, do they? And usually not too many sacrifices get to choose if they're offered up to God or not. That decision is made for them. But the psalmist is clearly saying, and definitively, not only that God is trustworthy, but also that they are willing to surrender, sacrificing themselves of their entire self to God and his plans. We have hope in our surrender to God, not because of what we wish to happen differently in our lives, but because of the one we are placing our trust and our hope in. The act of surrender and trust goes hand in hand with hope. Hope isn't looking for a preferred outcome. It isn't some sort of blind optimism, but faith that what is good and right will prevail. We hope because God is trustworthy and our surrender to the trustworthy God sets the stage to our living hope in the world around us. God not only wants us to be hopeful people because our trust is in him, but he wants and expects us to be a source of hope to those around us. I know this sounds kind of backward to our Western thinking, but our surrender to God is the beginning of our hope. You see, God is trustworthy whether you ever choose to trust him or not. But you will never find out how much so until you put your trust in him. 
Last week, we learned about salvation, Jesus paying the price for our sins and offering us forgiveness uh, because he already paid that penalty for us. Uh, Pastor Brian asked during the prayer time, did anyone want to make that decision? You know, my eyes are closed, so I have no idea if anybody made that choice or not. But he shared with me this week that the second thing he said, uh, maybe some of you have kind of wrapped your spiritual life up, your spiritual health, and put it on a shelf for a while, kind of stepped away from that. At some point, you made a choice for Christ, uh, but you haven't really been practicing that. And was anybody willing to come back and revisit that, take that spiritual bundle down and open it up and see what the Lord might have for your life? And you know, many people raise their hand at that. It's exciting, isn't it? That people are willing to revive, (laughs) to revive in Jesus Christ. But did you know that that's only the first step? Part of what makes the church of the Nazarene different is our belief in what we would say a second work of grace. God, through Jesus, saves us from our sins, but there's more. Isn't it always great when there's more? That's one of my favorite things about Christmas. You go to this and you go to that, but there's more. Somebody's got a present for you. There's their favorite cookie there. There's always more. It's the same thing in the journey of grace. So thinking about the journey of grace... I'll try and do this backwards because you're looking at me. <clears throat> this journey of grace, all of us are on a journey. So we start, is this right? I can't remember which way you read. This, <laughs> I'm going to start over here. Uh, you start in, in provenient grace land, okay? Which is, a, you're a pre-Christ follower. You haven't learned about Jesus yet. And all of us started there. And do you know what was happening in that spot? God was pursuing us. Isn't that exciting? God had a plan for our life. Whether or not we knew about him, whether or not we had chosen to trust him yet, he had a plan for our life and he was pursuing us. He was watching us. He was paying attention to us. He was hoping that we might want a relationship with him. It's a good place for all of us to start, isn't it? Some of you may be there today. You might be in provenient grace land. And then as we pursue our lives and we move through different experiences in our lives and we find out um, some really big life lessons like, I don't think I can pull this off on my own. (laughs) I don't think I have enough strength to go through all these situations that I'm finding myself in. I need some hope in my life. I need to know that there's greater purpose than just what I'm trying to pull off here, that I'm supposed to be part of something greater. And many of us have discovered that and we got saved. That's kind of a church word, but it just means that we ask Jesus to forgive our sins. So that's where we're at in our journey of grace. Some of us are a little bit further and we've continued to follow Jesus and we've paid attention every morning. Lord, what is it that you'd like for me to do? What's your will for my life today? How could I be obedient to you today? How could I bring hope into somebody else's life today? And we've pursued Jesus down this journey of grace. And some of us are over here And it's kind of a really fancy word. It's a church word. We like to make fancy words at church. And it's called sanctification. That's a second work of grace. Sanctification means my life is set apart for God's purposes. And so on this journey of grace, honestly, this is where I find myself. When I was 18 years old, after my senior year of high school, I asked the Lord to take all of me, not just my sins. Could he please use all of me? And that is the moment I got sanctified. But I'll tell you, I'm way more sanctified now than I was at that time. Just like John and I have been married 32 years. When I said I do that day, I was married. I'm way more married now than I was then. Okay? 
And it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, that's not in Brian's notes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, so this idea of sanctification, in simple terms, it really means we fully surrender ourselves to God. In salvation, we see we receive forgiveness for our sins, and we get all of God. But in sanctification, God gets all of us. It's pretty cool, huh? Uh, it is when we fully surrender ourselves to God that we learn just how trustworthy he is. Until we experience it for ourselves, before that, we only could observe how faithful he was. Before God got all of me, I could have people tell me how much they could trust God, but I could not fully understand it until I gave him all of my hopes and my worries and my concerns and my dreams. I had to surrender to God if I were to experience all of God. I had to sacrifice Cheryl and Cheryl's plans, hopes, and dreams if I were to realize God's complete plan for my life. Uh, I'm a visual person, so anybody have a, a dresser in your bedroom, like a chest of drawers in your bedroom where you keep all your stuff? Uh, to me, that's what my life is. And so I have this dresser, and a while ago, many years ago actually, I pulled out my sin drawer and I gave that to God. But my whole life was in this dresser. So he had my sins and he, he accepted those willingly and said, Cheryl, I'll clean this drawer up for you. This is going to look so much better. You're going to feel so much better by being obedient rather than disobedient. I'm going to clean all this out for you. But when I got sanctified, I gave him the whole dresser. So I pulled out every drawer. All my hopes, all my dreams, my good stuff, the things that I'm really strong at, the weaknesses, things I'm not so great at, the junk drawer, the one I just assumed nobody saw. I pulled all those out and said, you get all of it, Lord. You get the whole dresser. You get the mirror on top. Because now what I think about myself is what you think about me. It's pretty good, isn't it? So look at your dresser. Look at your life's dresser. And be really honest today. What drawers does the Lord have? Does he have your sin drawer only? That's great because that's a step on the journey of grace, right? What other drawers does, do you need to give to him today? Because he wants all of it. He wants all of it. So when you got saved, you got all of God, which is incredible. But when you get sanctified, that second work of grace, that choice that I would make for my life to be set apart for God's purposes, he gets all of me. It's pretty good. Good job, Brian. It is when we surrender to God that we ultimately find hope. Before I would hope my plans and dreams would come true, but I had nothing to rely on except my own strength. My success or failure was all on my shoulders. Before my surrender to God, my hope was the classical definition that society gives us, looking forward to better conditions. But with God, with God, the definition is now altered because my hope is in him and not on my changing circumstances. So instead of looking for a better outcome in life, I have a confident expectation that no matter what happens in my life, God is going to bring good out of it. While we wait for our hope to be realized, we still hope for the Messiah to come once again and for all to be made right, but it all begins with that act of surrender. Blank number two, that surrender leads to formation. That surrender leads to formation. 
One of the most prominent themes in this psalm, this area of scripture, is the language of teaching and guiding. That's what formation is, right? So in verse four, we see, make known your ways to me. In verse five, lead me, teach it to me. Verse eight says, teaches sinners. Verse nine says, God guides and teaches the weak. This morning, I want you to see that the surrender is not the end, but rather your start in a life full of hope and transformation. Once the person surrenders, they are open and moldable to become the person God is calling them to be. The person that wrote this psalm many years ago um, was King David. He's the same guy we spoke about a few weeks ago, the king of Israel and quite possibly the most powerful person in the world at that time. Although the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, that's what scripture, that's what it literally says about David. Can you imagine if scripture said that about you, a man after God's own heart? What an incredible compliment. At the same time, he was also deeply flawed. He was human like us. So David wrote this psalm to show the contrast between the person he used to be and the person that God is now transforming him to become. King David uses language like confession and pleas and crying out to God to extend forgiveness for his past sins. He also uses language that shows growth and movement towards something more. I believe what David wants the reader, what he wants us to know is that God is extending mercy and grace because he doesn't want to leave someone where he found them. He wants to transform them into someone that will reflect Jesus himself to the world. Uh, for a couple of weeks, we talked about our three words, known, valued, purposed. And when Pastor Brian talked about purpose, he said, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Your surrender to God leads to transformation. Your transformation leads to purpose and your purpose is found as you surrender yourself over to and following God. People who follow God are to be different than those who don't. Did you know that? We should look different. We should act different. We should react different. We should be different than the people who don't know Jesus. We're to be people of justice. Advent is a season of justice. One of my favorite definitions of justice is love in action. That's what justice is. We long for, we hope for the day of the Lord's return, which will be a day of justice when all shall be made right. But until that day happens, we still have work to do, right? So starting at verse 12 in that same chapter, chapter 25, excuse me. <clears throat> Where are the ones who honor the Lord? God will teach them which path to take. They will live a good life and their descendants will possess the land. The Lord counsels those who honor him. He makes covenant known to them. People who follow God, those who surrender over to his will, are people of wisdom and discernment. He will teach us what path to take. He will teach us what to do next. God is forming us to become the people he expects us to be for our broken world. There is so much going on in our land today. It is very overwhelming about what to do next. Do you ever feel that sometimes? You don't really even know where to start because it's all just such a hot mess, right? We need guidance from the one who knows what justice and reconciliation look like. And if justice truly is love in action, what better place to go than Jesus Christ to know what love in action looks like? The Lord freely counsels those who follow him 
and fully surrender to him. God's covenant is made known to them. That's what verse 14 says. The presence of the Lord is with people who submit and follow the ways of the Lord. So when you leave these walls today, when you leave the church today, you take with you the God of hope. You are to be uh, the ones to offer hope, a confident expectation of good to a broken world. Number three, formation leads to action. Formation leads to action. As God is forming us, we need to realize that the hope we have in God is active, not passive. But unfortunately, our last couple of years have been some of the darkest we've had in a long time. Uh, Mental health right now is at an all-time low. Over decades and decades, all the research that's being done, it's at an all-time low. And it would be so easy for us to fall into despair during this time. Uh, Who would even blame us? The danger of giving ourselves over to despair is the paralyzation that often accompanies it. So instead of being active hope givers, being hope dealers, uh, we become hope wishers, quietly standing by, hoping that something better might happen. That is not what God expects. It's not when we, uh, when we give ourselves over to him, he is a God of action, so he expects more from us. And the hope he gives us um, should infuse us with power to move forward, not silently standing by and waiting for good to come to us. Um, I really like that. I want to be a hope giver. I don't want to be a hope wisher where I stand by and wring my hands. You know who never wrings their hands? God never wrings his hands. Do you ever find yourself sometimes like, oh, what am I going to do next? I don't really know. And I'm a hope wisher standing by. God never wrings his hands. He's saying, Cheryl, I'm in you. Be a hope giver. Be a hope dealer. Don't stand by anymore. This morning, we lit the candle. Thank you, Curlis, for doing that. We lit the candle in the Advent wreath, not for us inside the sanctuary, but for everyone we come into contact with this week. This candle is lit here, um, but we should carry the light of Christ into the world through our acts of justice and righteousness and by following God wherever we are called. So those are those last blanks. Justice is active. Justice is active. Righteousness is active. Anything that's good and right in the world comes straight from God. And we know that God is active. So righteousness is active. Following Jesus is active. Following Jesus is active. Um, We went to the mall on Friday and Eleni, our three-year-old grandgirl, was with me, and we went on an escalator for the first time. If you want to have fun, take a little kid on an escalator. It was awesome. So we are on the second floor, and the escalator's coming up, and a couple steps off, and Eleni goes, wow, like that, because she just, they just came from nowhere, and then they were on the thing, and the couple was like, thank you very much. Like, they, <laughs> they just did something awesome. And so we went um, down the escalator together, so I'm talking her through it. Okay, we're going to hold still and then see the yellow line, and we're going to take a step on the count of three and walking her through all of that. I think sometimes maybe we think that our spiritual life following Jesus um, that we could just be on an escalator or a people walker and that somehow we're going to get from A to B just naturally. Osmosis, I'm going to learn the word of God. If I sleep and my Bible's on my nightstand and I sleep right next to it, somehow it's going to jump from my nightstand into my brain. 
So I'm not, I'm not actively seeking out what God wants. It's not that way, you guys. <laughs> if I'm going to follow Jesus, I got to take some action in part of that. And not only am I taking action to learn and to be open to what he's changing in me, but I'm also going to have opportunities to inform another person, to offer grace and hope to another person. But it's going to require me taking some action to do that. Now, that should come out of a relationship, right? I'm not going to thump somebody upside the head with a Bible. I'm going to have a friendship with them. I'm already going to know them. I'm going to find out what's going on in their life. I'm going to offer them hope and grace and forgiveness and love out of that relationship that Jesus is helping me build with that person. That's the best way to do it. Now, have there been times where I've been able to talk to a perfect stranger and pray with them? There have been. And it was weird and great and terrifying and awesome all at the same time. So I would encourage you, not only is justice active, do not be a bystander in this world. Be an upstander. Don't let something awful happen next to you and you don't take any action. That doesn't look like Jesus. Righteousness is active. Do the right thing all the time. Now, can I do that in Cheryl's power? Absolutely not. My human default will not be the right thing. So I better be so entrenched in Jesus Christ that now my default is supernatural, not natural. Okay, righteousness is active and following Jesus is active. We light this candle today as a symbol of hope even in a year full of despair. And we remember that God came into a hurting world once, but he will come again to make all things right. Isn't that exciting news? The hope of God is not just for us, it's for the world. The world longs for something more. The world longs for the hope of Christ. The psalmist ends this psalm with a cry for his entire nation. Verse 22 says, please God, save Israel from all its troubles. Doesn't say who caused the troubles. It could be an outside force caused the troubles for Israel. More than likely, Israel caused the troubles for Israel. Because <laughs> they were a group of human beings just like us. This should be our cry for our country in our time as well. Please, God, would you save our country? Please, God, would you help the USA? Would you help our community? Lord, would you be with all the leaders from Pekin, Illinois? Would you be with the leaders of Tremont, East Peoria, and Peoria, and all the surrounding areas? God, would you be with our governor? Lord, would you bless the state of Illinois? Would you help us, Lord? Give them hope, and until the day... You come to make all things right. Use me to do the same. So we're going to take some time this morning and just pray. It's really all I know to do. <laughs> you can pray in your seat. Some, some folks like to turn and kneel at their seat. This is called an altar. It's, a, it's a, this wooden cushioned bench at the front. And one of my favorite things about our church is this is always open. I don't know if you know that. We don't put an open or a closed sign because it's always open. And so today, I wonder, I wonder a few things. I wonder if you're a hope wisher or if you're a hope pusher, dealer, whatever, whatever, whatever that you said, that you are actively giving hope to other people or that you're standing by and wringing your hands and saying, I hope it gets better. I'm so nervous about the future. I don't know what's going to happen whether that's about politics, whether that's about your family, whether that's about your finances. 
Are you a hope wisher or are you a hope giver? (laughs) Also, I wonder about your dresser. Um, On this journey of grace, are you in provenient Graceland? Are you here today because somebody invited you? And I'm so glad that you're here, but you never made a decision for Christ. Maybe you're watching today because somebody shared it on Facebook and you said, oh, it's my friend. I wonder what's going on at their church. I'll watch that this morning. Welcome. We're really glad you're watching today. Maybe you're in provenient Graceland and you've never made a decision for Christ. Today would be a remarkable day to pull that sin drawer out of your dresser and say, Lord, can you make something of this? (laughs) Can you help me with this? Maybe you've made a decision for Christ, but you have bundled that up and put your spiritual health up on the shelf for just a little while. I'll get back to it, but I got life to live. I got decisions to make. I got things to do. And you realize I'm doing all that by myself. I'm not connected to anything more powerful than me. So all of this that is happening is only on my strength. That's why it's kind of, maybe it's time to pull that down off that shelf and open it up and say, Lord, (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) Can you help me? Can you help me to live for you in such a way that that I never have before, that maybe my life could become something of purpose, that I could have such value um, in the kingdom of God that, that I would take as many people as possible with me to heaven. Maybe you're getting further down this way and you're realizing there's gotta be something more. I gave him my sin drawer, but I think he wants more than that. Today is your day. Today would be the day for you to start opening all those other drawers and saying, Lord, what a gift it has been to have all of you. Thank you, God, that when I got saved, you gave me all of you. What an incredible gift that is. What a privilege to be able to walk with you. But today, I want to give you all of me. Today, fourth, everything about my life will be set apart for your purposes. So how I spend my money will be for your purpose how I do my job, how I go to school, how I study will be for your purpose. The friendships I have will be for your purpose. How I date, how I'm married, how I parent, how I treat my parents, all of that is for your purpose. So I don't know where you're at today, but I'd like you to know that this altar is open and your seat is open and the Holy Spirit's really big and he's everywhere. He's literally everywhere. So if you're in your car, he's there. If you're on your couch, he's there. If you're at work, he's there. That's how big he is. So let's pray together. There's going to be some music playing. We're in no rush, no hurry at all. If you feel the Lord prompting you today, don't bypass it. Don't say, hmm, I don't think I'm going to do that today. Because you're going to miss this journey of grace. You're going to miss it because God wants to keep helping you to move forward. He wants to keep drawing you closer because he's got a purpose in your life and he doesn't want you to miss it. So don't bypass his prompting today. Let's pray. Welcome by a melody An anthem I have always known A song that's always been in me All glory and honor Dominion and power to you Because I didn't know what to do It looked so scary and so so big and so bad 
me to have courage <laughs> to move past that and to be a hope dealer, a hope giver during those times. I don't want to be a hopeless person anymore. Lord, I thank you for I'm at, where I'm at on this journey of grace. And I recognize that in a group this size with all these folks watching and with all these folks in our sanctuary, that somebody might be in provenient grace land. And Lord, we pray for that person today, that if you are calling out to their spirit, which I think that you are, that they might have enough courage, Lord, to answer you today. Maybe it's a person a little bit farther down in, in this hope journey, Lord, and they're saying, you know, I've kind of put my spiritual life on hold for a bit. But I, I believe the Lord wants me to pick that up. <laughs> he wants me to love him, to serve him, to follow him. And he wants to be a part of my life and help me and give me courage and give me direction. And so I pray for that person today, Lord. And I pray for this person all the way down here who's been serving you for a while and is so grateful that you took their sins, is so grateful that you gave them all of you. But today they're saying, you know what? I've never given God all of me. And so every part of me, I'm gonna to give to the Lord now. God, you're gonna get all of me. Lord, I want my entire life to be set apart for your purposes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for helping each of us. Thank you for uh, being with Pastor Brian today. Thank you for touching him and bringing healing to his body. Would you help him today, Lord? Would you let him know how much we love him and that we're, we're praying for him? God, I thank you for speaking to our hearts and minds today. I thank you that you make all the difference. And that when I recognize, when I surrender, that's where the hope is. So help me to quit fighting so hard. <laughs> help me to surrender quicker so that I can get to that hope, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being God. Thank you for being exactly who you say you are. That those times when I'm wringing my hands are a little bit nervous that I can remember that you literally spoke a word and galaxies came into being. You truly are the God of the universe. And at the very same time, Lord, you know my name. You know how many hairs are on my head. You know what makes me tick. You know the things that I love to do. Thank you for loving me so individually and so uniquely. You are a great God, Lord, worthy of our praise. And today we celebrate you and we thank you for helping us to move along in the journey of grace. Thank you for your hope, Lord. Help us to go and take your light, your hope into our sphere of influence this week to our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and our friends. Thank you for the opportunities you're gonna give us, Lord, to offer them hope. And we pray this all in your name, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you.